Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. Today, we're broadcasting from the beautiful Gold Coast of Australia. And uh, as you know, we're heard in over 60 countries around the world, and we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And I came up on the, uh, to the Gold Coast from my regular home in Los Angeles to celebrate the 60th birthday of a wonderful friend of mine, and what a party was had by all. It was, um, it was fantastic. They hired um, big cruisers to park at the back of their um, home on the, on the water. And so some of the people stayed on the boats and others stayed in the house, which is quite a house. And uh, it was fantastic. It was really great. So I'm very pleased to be here. Um, this channel or this, this program is all about entrepreneurs. And at the party, I got talking with a bunch of people and I met a great young entrepreneur who has begun a soft plastic recycling business through schools and it's going great guns and the lady's name Samantha Cross and the company is called Plastic Police which I think is tremendous so it's it's done through the schools and it is um, going great guns and it's taking a whole heap of soft plastics out of the landfills so I thought that I would in a couple of weeks interview her and find out what it is that makes this program, apart from saving the planet, what else it is that makes this this um, program so terrific. So watch out for that in, in a few weeks, an interview with Samantha Cross about Plastics Police. Now, with just a day or so to go before the end of the year, it's probably time to think about what 2016 will bring. And last week I read a fantastic article by Sally Krawcheck. Now, for those of you who don't know, Sally's the co-founder and CEO of Elevest, and she's also chair of the Elevate Network, which is the global professional women's network. And she believes that we're about to enter the golden age of female entrepreneurships. And I must admit, I agree. We've spoken on this program many times before on the dramatic increase in the number and the skills of female entrepreneurs. And uh, I really think that 2016 is going to be the year of the female entrepreneur. It'll be the year where um, the forces of entrepreneurialism and feminism converge. And uh, I think they'll drive a long period of um, female entrepreneurship, which will be very positive, empowering for the women, good for the economy, good for consumers, and great for society. Now, I think this surge is going to be driven by a handful of converging forces. The first of these will be the broadening recognition. Now, this is, take note, guys. The broadening recognition that startups with female leadership are more successful than those run by men by some considerable margin. So let's just say that again. New startups run by women are much more successful than those run by men. First Round Capital recently reported 63% better performance by its companies with women leaders than by those with all-male leadership teams. Interesting. Secondly, if you look around, you're beginning to see a critical mass of inspirational, successful female entrepreneurs. They're popping up all over the place. In LA, where I live, um, you know, LA is going through an explosion of, um, of startups and uh, VCs and, and um, incubators. And there's female founded and run businesses such as 23andMe, Rent the Runway, The Real Real, Birchbox, Spanx, Stitch Fix, Dry Bar, Bauble Bar. There's just a whole bunch of them 
run by women, and the list gets longer every day. And these women aren't playing by the boys' club rules. They're not asking permission, and they've trashed the concept that women's business is supposed to be little or cute or limited to dog walking or home crafts or makeup or something like that. They've blasted that right out of the water. Thirdly, there's a growing ecosystem supporting women now. These provide some combination of coaching and networking and instruction and introduction to funding sources. Uh, Astia on the West Coast, Springboard on the East Coast, um, EY's Entrepreneurial Winning Women Initiative. There's heaps of them. And women's networks are providing these women entrepreneurs with fantastic peer and business connections. So it, 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 what's happening with female entrepreneurs is nothing short of quite dramatic and revolutionary. Underpinning the emergence of these organisations and with all entrepreneurial women all supporting each other, it's, it's a growing recognition that it's not just one or two or three female entrepreneurs that can be successful, but, and it's, it's not following the idiocy of the, you know, let's, we've got eight people on a board, so let's give one person one per a seat on the board to a woman or we'll make the CEO a woman and she'll be totally surrounded by men so that, you know, she has little say as possible. Um, I mean, that's just idiocy. Instead, there's now room for the pie to grow and for women to lift each other up. A strong, a strong women's entrepreneurial network may just be as important as any other network, giving the idiosyncratic challenges that female entrepreneurs face. It's not easy, but they are coming ahead in leaps and bounds. Fourthly, the cost of technology is coming down so dramatically, which enables entrepreneurs to start businesses in ways we couldn't even contemplate a few years ago. Um, for example, the technology and client platform at Merrill which cost by some estimates more than $1 billion, would today cost possibly $25 million. So that's a big difference. It wasn't possible 10 years ago or five years ago even, maybe even six months ago. Fifth, the other costs of running a business are also coming down and coming down dramatically. For example, think freelancers for, um, for certain functions. So instead of full-time employees, you can have freelancers from all over the world. I mean, last week we spoke to a group that um, places freelancers in large and small companies all over the planet, saving corporations millions of dollars and also giving them the best choice of, of talent available. Um, think about outsourcing some of the HR and accounting functions. Think about video conferencing instead of business travel. Think about on-demand testing instead of expensive focus groups. Cloud services instead of software licenses and physical servers. Sixth, entrepreneurialism is no longer just for the young. It really is becoming equal opportunity. Therefore, it expands its impact. And women are living longer and they have valuable experience. So today, many have the financial means to take on some business risk. So adding to all of these other positives, it gives women entrepreneurs a phenomenal opportunity. So think about um, perhaps older women that uh, have come into the marketplace. Think Ariana Huffington and the Huffington Post. You know, I don't start my day without um, going into the Huffington Post and finding out what the hell's going on and what's it, what type of absolutely idiotic statements Donald Trump's made today. 
<laughs> and think about Joni Evans and a crew of women in media who founded Wow Oh Wow. Think Deborah Jackson who founded Plum Alley. And there's a whole range of women who are not really young who have become fantastic and successful entrepreneurs. The seventh reason there are more women entrepreneurs is that there are more sources of funding for women entrepreneurs. And knowing that women at the helm of um, startups are much more successful than men, that opens up the dollars for women. And I'm sure that the venture capital numbers for women still aren't equal to men or aren't fantastic. But they will open up and they'll open up fairly quickly. Crowdfunding is opening up to more investors and that is helping women entrepreneurs. So you add all those things together and women are on the way and next year is the year that will reach critical mass and really start to boom. Uh, if you add to that, just thinking about the women-focused crowdfunding avenues such as Plum Alley and women-focused angel investing groups such as Pipeline Angels and Portfolio and Golden Seeds and four women business loans through, say, the Tory Birch Foundation. And you got some real momentum happening there with funding for women entrepreneurs. And the impact of all this, of course, is absolutely fantastic. As more women entrepreneurs are successful, the bigger venture capital dollars will come into these businesses and these women-run businesses will um, grow the economy very quickly. The losers, there'll be losers, and the losers will be those companies that just don't get it and keep operating as though the rules of the past for engaging women still apply. There are so many sex-biased sex men, it is unbelievable, who believe that, I don't know where they think a women's, woman's place is, but it certainly isn't in the workplace and it certainly isn't taking their jobs. Well, guess what? It is. And the sooner they take their jobs, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Now, so watch out next year, 2016, the year of the woman executive. At this time of the year, at the end of 2015, which has been a pretty great year, really, uh, it's appropriate to look at the 2015 success stories. And a company that I love and have admired forever um, is Apple. And incidentally, the you may well know that the person that discovered Steve Jobs and gave him his first job and was his mentor right through to his death, um, started Atari. Well, we did an interview with him a couple of days ago and that'll be airing in probably about three or so weeks for Watch Out for an interview with the fantastic Nolan Bushnell. He is something else, this guy, he's a good friend also belongs to the metal group, but um, if you look at any of the uh, Steve Jobs movies that are out, Nolan's right in all of them. Apple's made incredible progress this year. It gets further and further away from the legacy of Steve Jobs. The company's now clearly defined by current CEO Tim Cook. Apple's revenues have continued to soar. They're $232 billion up from 191 billion in 2014. He steered the company into two new areas, areas such as enterprise, and has updated the stable of products, including the watch, Apple Music, and various other software products, including the news app. The iPhone 6S broke Apple's first week sales record. It's been a huge hit in China. And uh, in China, Apple's increased revenue by over 100% to $13 billion in the last quarter, just coming to an end. It's introduced a new iPad aimed at business customers. All in all, 
and you know, add to that the new MacBook with the 12 inch screen, um, the updates to the MacBook Pro and the iMac. I mean, it's been a fantastic year for Apple. It's behind the scenes. Cook has really excelled in managing to cut down Apple's supply uh, issues to a minimum, saving the company heaps of money and making products that are a higher quality than their rivals. He spilled out Apple's enterprise business from almost nothing to 25 billion. Now you say 25 billion off the top, off the tip of your tongue, doesn't sound like much, but when you think about it, it's $25,000 million in new business uh, since he took over the reins. And of course he set up partnerships with IBM, Box, Salesforce, Microsoft and others. And uh, Apple's reach has now expanded well past the consumer space. The launch of Apple Music, which competes with Spotify, was successful. And it's predicted to grow to the same size as Spotify by the end of 2016. It's been introducing new stores worldwide, including the Middle East and in Europe. It's built an extraordinary campus in California at a cost of $5 billion. I don't know whether you've seen it. It looks like a giant spaceship. It's unbelievable. And going into 16, Apple will update its key product lines, will continue to um, expand in China and develop the enterprise business. So in my view, Apple are only just beginning to kick butt. Throughout the year, I've mentioned uh, the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. It's the premier organisation for business in the US. And if you're serious, if you're really serious about being successful and about improving your skill level, your status and your network, you should join AISMM today. You know, I put the initials AISMM after my name about 12 years ago, and it has been a fantastic help for me. Um, you know, the amount of information you can find out from AISMM just by going to their website, sending them an email, um, is unbelievable. And the contacts are extraordinary. So if you want to get on in business in 2016, go to AISMM.us and join now. Now, my final interview in 2016 is with Eric Riz. Now, Eric, I, I love him. He's great. He's a true visionary. He's got an extraordinary ability to find needles in haystacks. You know, the data out there, the amount of data out there is mind-boggling. Mind mind and he's worked with leading 500 companies he's to stay on top of the complexities and not only today's technology, but the changes that take place in every aspect of business and the changes that are going to change, that are going to change our future. Eric's got a background in business information technology and global management. This guy was born with the entrepreneurial spirit. He's very cool and he's uh, a significant figure in the technology industry. He's the CEO of Toronto-based Empty Cubicle, which is an HR-related software company that's, um, I reckon, going to revolutionise the IT recruiting industry in this next 12 months to two years. Now, when he's not juggling his role as CEO and thought leader, he mentors people, which is one of the great things that entrepreneurs can do. I'm Bob Pritchard. I'm on Voice America Business Channel. We're in our fifth year currently. We've had a great time. We've interviewed about 230, 240 people to date, the movers and shakers on the planet. And I'll be back with another one, Eric Riz, after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. 
Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. We give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people and entrepreneurs. We talk about the services they provide. And we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, creating a successful business is really bloody hard. That's why only about 3% succeed. So we all need all the help we can get. And that's why it's important for all of us to have mentors, surround ourselves with people who know what they're doing, who've been through um, whatever situation you're in before so that you don't make the mistakes that they've already made and solved and you should listen to as many interviews and read as many books as you can so and take on board the advice that uh, those who are already successful have determined works my guest today is eric riz he's a he's a real visionary he's he's from canada and uh He's actually quite enjoying the weather at the moment because it hasn't got to that freezing, well, it's pretty cold, but it hasn't got to that freezing up to your knees in snow yet. But um, Eric's got an extraordinary ability to find needles in the data haystack. You know, there's so much data out there that it's unbelievable. And uh, Eric's worked with leading companies to stay on top of the complexities, not only of today's technology market, but of the incredible changes that are taking shape in the future. Funnily enough, I gave a presentation in um, in Alaska last week, and there was a member of the state, uh, sorry, of the national parliament in the audience, and I was talking about. The fact that over the last 10 years, we've probably been through 1% of the technology revolution and in the next 10 years, we're going to go through the next 99%. So if you haven't been able to keep up with the change so far, get ready. And uh, he wrote me a note afterwards saying that we're at the full extent of the technology revolution and there will not be much further change. And I thought, this guy's representing us and, and well, not representing us, but representing Americans in Alaska, and he doesn't think there's going to be any further change. And a bunch of idiots obviously voted this guy into office. I'm not sure how that works. I might actually use his name next week and read you what he wrote. Um, but Eric, as the driving force between the implementation of Microsoft SharePoint for enterprise organizations, he's been sought after by Fortune 500's companies such as Walt Disney Company, Kellogg's, Pepsi, you know, all the small players on the block. He's got a background in business, information technology and global management. He's got a real entrepreneurial flair and spirit, this guy, and he's become a significant figure in the technology industry. He's currently the CEO of Toronto-based Empty Cubicle, which is an HR-related software company poised to revolutionise the IT recruiting industry. Now, this is not launching. It's not live yet. It's not launching until early 2016. But Empty Cubicle is the result of Eric's ingenuity combined with his ability to recognise needs within the technology space. He's an active thought leader, thought-after keynote speaker, 
and he's gained notoriety in an engaging and as an engaging and insightful speaker on such topics as tomorrow's IT strategy and risks and opportunities in future data. I think you've got to have a mindset that hones in on this because I think for most of us listening, most of us that have got businesses, we sit there and we say, you know, data is critical and there's this wealth of, of big data applications, but how the hell do you negotiate your way through them? And uh, that's what Eric is a genius at. So when he's not juggling his role as CEO and thought leader, he can be found mentoring and advising young business leaders at the, I think it's Mars Technology Incubator in Toronto. I've got Eric on the line. Hi, Eric. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob. Thank you very much. Great to be here today. And uh, hello to all the listeners. It's... um. Very confusing, all this big data, isn't it? You, you know, there's just such a wealth of information out there that it does it take a a huge amount of training and, and study or do some people just naturally adapt to being able to understand all this data? Well, it's certainly a good question and, and definitely a difficult one to answer. Um, there are certainly some people out there who are very happy uh, going through a, a day-in, day-out process where they, they complete a task and focus on uh, exactly what is inside of their box. And then there are others, uh, such as myself, who, who see things a bit differently. Um, I often speak in interviews when I'm, I'm speaking with potential staff members about uh, what it is that we look for in, in our staff. And right. typically people see things on the, the the three dimension. They look at things a certain way and we challenge our people to, to look on that fourth dimension. So it isn't just, is the glass half empty or half full, but is there a glass to begin with and is there liquid to pour into that glass? Um, and, and taking a look at, uh, at the world with a, within a, a different context or light is really uh, one of the, the founding components or, or foundational uh, pieces of Empty Cubicle is looking at HR in that different perspective. It's a pity that we all can't look at something in three and four dimensions. It might make for a better world because I think most people, um, which is unfortunate, look at things in one dimension. Absolutely. Absolutely. But so at the same time, I, I, go on. <clears throat> sorry, I, I, I think at the same time, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the physiology, the makeup of the individual that decides how they're going to look at things and, I think if we all looked at things the same way, it would be a pretty bland world out there. We've got to be able to look at things from different levels and perspectives and in order to challenge one another and, and try to uh, to push messages forward and, and push thought leadership forward. Yeah. So what was the inspiration behind the creation of um, Empty Cubicle? Well, I mean, personally, I've always been focused on identifying and, and solving customer problems where we can, personally, I see a, a niche that, that others may not see and in my experience working within the Microsoft ecosystem, I would have conversations with some of the world's largest organizations, and there was a common denominator amongst each of them. And no matter what the company did or what their product or service was, the common denominator was always that there was a, a fundamental flaw in the organization, and that fundamental flaw, sadly, was human resources. Yeah. And, and that was, was really what started to get... To, to really get me thinking around how to solve that problem. And in, in the SharePoint space, I was successful in solving the problem of the business user, how uh, an organization can look to implement technology not just as a tool but as a foundation and something that's enterprise-focused and across the organization. In the HR context, the issue of, of looking at HR is, is really, it's a very old and known process. Everybody, I like to say, when I'm on stage, I like to say that everybody that I know has either been hired or fired. And, of course, that gets a big smile because everybody has been hired or fired. And you can, you can ask somebody, you can point a finger, and you can say, what was your issue with that process? What was your issue with that process? And if you're speaking to the individual, it's almost always time. It took far too long to get that first phone call. It took far too long to find the right role for me. It took far too long to, to close the loop and to close the process. Too long to recruit, too long to hire, too long to onboard new staff, so on and so forth. 
and the organization really speaks the same language. The onboarding process, the the compiling of, of information, receiving resumes, trying to make heads or tails, find that needle in the haystack in order to get a short list of people who are going to come in for interviews is, is a very arduous process for everybody. And unfortunately, no one's really cracked the whip and found a good way to improve on that process. And that's, that was really the niche or the, the focus behind the creation of empty cubicles, looking on that fourth dimension, on that different paradigm and saying, this is something that needs to be fixed at a fundamental level. Everybody that's out there who's an entrepreneur and starting a company is sitting there saying, what am I going to call this company? And no matter what combination of words they come up with, they're all taken. <laughs> it, was much, it was much easier 30 years ago, um, but today... Um, Almost every combination of words is taken. So how did you come up with empty cubicle? I presume it's about filling an empty cubicle. Is that? There, there's an old joke that I'm sure you know uh, about, uh, I believe it's uh, Mountain Dew and how they came up with the, uh, the name for Mountain Dew and they thought that it wasn't the right name. And they sat across from, of course, the people who created Coca-Cola. Yeah, and they thought that it had negative connotation, and, and somebody said, "Well, since they call us Coke, uh, I'm not sure there's that thing as negative connotation." But empty cubicle is is really something that it just made sense to me. Yeah. It really just made sense. It, it's something that, if you look at the the players in the the current market space and, and marketplace, you have people who have taken very straightforward words and and put them together to to create their products. Empty cubicle to me just made perfect sense. What is it that you're trying to do? You're trying to fill the cubicle. Yeah. You're trying to, whether it's a, a cubicle, whether it's a, a gorgeous uh, corner office, it doesn't matter. It's 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 sure. understanding at the fundamental level that uh, empty cubicle is what we're trying to fill. The, the biggest issue that we've had with the name, believe it or not, is that a lot of people think that we're in the real estate business. Yeah, I don't quite get that, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Neither do I. (laughs) Now, one of the problems with resumes and sorting through resumes, um, I would think, is the fact that people who normally in their life have absolutely no imagination whatsoever, when it comes to writing a resume, suddenly become the most creative people on the planet. Um, So how do you sort out you know, what, what's real and what's just plain straight-out bullshit when it comes to resumes? Well, you can, you can say that. I can't say that. But what I can say is that <laughs> from a verified perspective, um, you know, the, the verified resume is, is really, to us, it, it's not just a statement. It's, it's far more than a statement. It's really a movement. Right. And uh, believe it or not, what we want to do is, with Empty Cubicle, is drive the profile. And it's the firm belief that a profile is what will get you your job. It is no longer your resume. And the the job of the resume used to be to try to sell yourself on paper. But today, with the social constructs that we have in place, people are far more used to updating their profiles, whether that be the variety of online mechanisms they have, whether you're updating a photo, whether you're updating uh, your personal information on a, on a particular website, it's the profile that will get, get you that next opportunity. Right. And for us, it's really looking at the fact that resumes have a negative connotation. It's a well-known fact, for example, that 58% of resumes are deemed to have a credibility issue immediately once reviewed which means they're getting thrown away and four out of ten are being looked at uh, from a serious level. That's obviously not a good thing, and that's the time waster that we want to try to correct. In what area area, uh, most of uh, these issues arrive? Is there a particular part of the the, um, CV or whatever um, where these errors arrive, arise? There, there are many ways, uh, many places, and uh, it's certainly not industry-specific. But a lot of people like to uh, manufacture a job title, for example, which isn't truthful or, or uh, representative of the job that they have done. They but they don't, will improve. do they? 
People don't do I, that, do they? I've never seen anybody do it myself, but you know, I've seen some articles that, that relate to this. So if you were the senior project manager and for XYZ, and yet the tasks that you worked on don't really match up to what a senior project manager would be doing. Yeah. And that's a, that's a glaring error. That's as obvious as having a headlight out on your car. Right. You know that one is working and one is not working. And that, by and large, as an example, are, are a lot of the things that people are doing. You know, they're, they're providing information which, irrespective of the fact that it is wrong and it is intentionally trying to confuse or uh, dupe an organization into bringing yep. them in for an interview, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. So to the reviewer of that resume, it's, uh, it's a very frustrating process because if you're basically looking at 60% of your job being looking at something and throwing it away, that's a very painful, mundane process. And sure. That's, that's part of the driver here for us. So for um, HR specialists, the costs involved in going through the process as it currently exists must be horrendous. It would be frustrating and it's expensive and you're getting abused by who, whoever wants the role filled very quickly. So I would think that um, HR specialists are going to love your software for the simple fact it's going to save them a lot of time, a lot of money and a lot of angst. But how does it, how does it actually work? Well, I, I appreciate the passion. You, you sort of sound like me in your description there, which I, I certainly like. Well, I can say um, that it's great. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, we're more than just a traditional marketplace. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of the hiring systems that are out there have become. Right. Uh, it's a well-known fact that the average recruiter has 17 logins to 17 systems trying to get the needle in the haystack trying to maintain ownership of a resume which they can present to their clients. And that's just, that's just painful, right? That, that, there's no other way to say it than painful. It's also ludicrous. Everyone, well, of course, of course. So how it works is really uh, relative to our database and the way that we look at information. And of course, it's proprietary. So if I told you, I would have to you know, Kill me, yeah. injure you, and, and I don't want to do that, uh, seeing as we've just met. But the, the verification process well, I'm tough really too. <laughs> I've heard that about you. I've heard that about you. It, uh, it works by measuring the content in a resume or in a profile, as we refer to them, and measuring it specifically almost a word for word against our proprietary database. Right. So we're, we're really, part and parcel of that is we're really stopping the submission process entirely. So resumes that become profiles in empty cubicle, if you are maintaining an active profile, then your profile and the specifics of your requirements could be shown to any employer who is looking for somebody with your skill set. And that's why the, the profile and, and the maintenance of your information at a per personal professional level is so important because that's how it really uh, drives the, the credibility issue. So candidates, for example, can't apply directly for jobs in empty cubicle. They can't, as I mentioned, they can't apply on the platform. Uh, and that's where the bulk of the time is wasted in job search for both parties. Candidates applying for roles uh, that they aren't qualified for is where everyone gets into trouble. So right. a job seeker who will spend a couple or, or three hours a night looking at various systems um, and just sending resumes and upon resumes to, uh, to a, a vacant mailbox or to an employer who might get back to them. Um, those are people who are just hoping that they're going to dribble the ball and, and throw the basketball up in the air and hope that it goes anywhere near the net. Yeah, of course, Mary. Of course, we know that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, Hal Mary. And, of course, we know that to not be uh, terribly effective. So being able to control that in and of itself is something that's going to provide uh, far more uh, expediency to, to getting the right individual, the right candidate in front of the organization. And we have a variety of systems, checks, balances outside of the verification process that we've built into Empty Cubicle, which will uh, 
which will drive that for both the employer and the individual. And we've, we've got the use of, of some social technologies, some messaging technologies, and, uh, and that's what's going to drive the actual connection between parties. Okay, I can, I can, I can see all that, but um, it seems to me that one of the most important parts of putting people into roles in corporations, whether they're large or small, is making sure that those people um, have the right personality, have the right um, um, social skills, for, because I can't think of the right word, and have the right um, um, corporate okay. culture attitude to yeah. be able to fit into those roles. How does um, Empty Cubicle address that side of the equation? The short answer is out of the gate, we won't do that. Right. And th- this is part of the startup process is knowing where you play and knowing where you don't play. Okay. And we, we recognize there are a number of, of organizations out there, some of whom we're already speaking with about uh, what the future could look like as, uh, as our companies grow uh, together in the space. Um, these companies are the ones that are, are doing those assessments, those cultural fits and whatnot, and we don't want to play there. We want right. to play in getting a, uh, a super short list of applicants in front of the organization, which means once we've given you the, those number of profiles, the individuals who are best suited, verified for your roles, then it's up to you, the organization, to do what you'd like with it. So if you want to run them all through another process that you have, that's okay. If you want to run them all through a particular system or have them do a, an assessment, something online, what, whatever the situation might be, by all means. You know, we, we recognize that the value statement that we are bringing out of box, if you will, is providing that short list uh, 100%, if not more, quicker than through traditional means. Well, we, we, we often talk about the fact that, um, you know, resumes are, quite often the figment of somebody's imagination. Um, But when companies are describing to you the role that they're looking for someone to fill, how accurate in general are the companies in in what they really require or do they overstep frequently trying to um, um, describing the position as more than, than it actually is or covering some issue how accurate are they great question our our findings are that it's almost the smaller the organization the the more embellished uh, the bigger their eyes might be sure to uh, to getting that that right individual in place and certainly as a startup as a a company that's less than 12 people uh, we 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 do that and i can I, i certainly know that we do that and then we struggle as we try to drive that individual forward. Sure. So the smaller the company, the more it's embellished. In, in a larger organization, financial institution, uh, insurance company, what have you, it's far more structured. And I, I also think there's a big uh, component of that, which is roles that are net new to the organization have been created for whatever purpose are typically exaggerated. Whereas roles where uh, someone has exited or will be, will be added um, based on scale are typically uh, better fit to the organization. They're more specific around what it is they're looking for. Uh, but of course, we've also seen a blend of the two, where you start off the as an organization, you start off thinking that you've got a need for one person, and then you actually sit down and through the interview process, realize, recognize that this individual can can act in this particular role, but they can also act in these other roles. And then you end up with, uh, more consolidating uh, a number of of um, skills or a number of tasks, performance into one role. Now, particularly, I guess, I may be totally wrong here, but particularly, it seems to me that in the um, tech industry, um, the competition to get talent is fierce and sort of HR consultancy businesses have popped up all over the place Um, so you have an extremely competitive industry that's an assumption but so how do 
how does empty cubicle distinguish itself or differentiate itself from all of the other so-called HR specialists that seem to be moving into the market? Firstly, is my assumption right? If it's not, don't worry about the question. If it is right, <laughs> how do you differentiate yourself? Well, since you're the host, I'll, I'll tell you that your assumption is right, because it would be, it would be rude of me to, to tell you that you're not correct. But yes, your, your assumption is right. Certainly, uh, the, the HR space is something that is so packed right now. I mean, there, there are so many companies, and you think of the statistic I gave you earlier, where uh, as a recruiter, you might have up to 17 different logins for 17 different systems, all of whom provide the same information and do the same things. I mean, think about that in a different perspective. Think about it not from the recruiter's perspective, but from the applicant's perspective. So if I'm looking for a job, I've got to maintain 17 different resumes yeah. or even more because I have rewritten components or pieces of my resume in order to make myself more attractive to, to different to specific that are yeah. hiring. Sure. So distinguishing for us has, has really been uh, something we've been working on for some time. And uh, particularly in, in the... In the Canadian marketplace, there have been a ton of HR startups which have, uh, have emerged in recent years. And the differentiator for us, uh, as I mentioned, obviously, is Verify. And, and verification isn't just uh, a process that an organization must complete at the end of an HR process. It's something that, as a movement, should happen throughout the process and at the beginning of the process. Yep. Uh, if, you, if you think about the traditional hiring process, when is it that uh, the organization goes and verifies resume content or, or phones references, it's obviously at the end of the process. Yeah, which was which ridiculous. Be, yeah. Exactly, which, which would be, of course, incredibly, incredibly strange when, when here you are trying to bring somebody into the organization and when you have 100 resumes on day one, then you whittle that down to three resumes on day what might be 45 or 60, now you're ready to bring somebody in. Only then do you go and verify uh, the, the specifics on the resume. It, yeah, yeah. It's so... Yeah, and you've probably already cut out a whole bunch of people that might be more suitable than the ones you've got left. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's painful to think that that's what the, uh, the organizations are doing. But um, alas, you know, a, a, an empty cubicle verified profile is something that we want to stand out to employers both in the system and on paper. Yeah. And we're working on a number of initiatives in order to build that statement, build that uh, brand for us. And uh, you'll, you'll see in 2016, which is obviously around the corner, um, exactly how that's going to, to work and operate. And we've got some very exciting ideas around how we're going to, uh, to build that loyalty and um, have organizations out there that recognize that a, an empty cubicle verified profile is the same as a very small white and blue check mark on Twitter. You know, yep. It stands for something, it means something, and it's as authentic as it gets. Uh, most entrepreneurs out there, the biggest problem they have is raising funds. Have you had to raise funds so far for your business? Well, I, I thought you might ask that question. Um, of course. And I, I, as a listener of your radio program, uh, I, there are a number of answers that you always get to this question, but yeah. I suppose I'll, I'll be traditional in saying as a startup, we're always raising funds. Uh, yeah. we, were, we were very fortunate to raise uh, a very solid uh, initial round, friends, family, and uh, those closest to us who believed in what it is that we uh, are building, and uh, that's something that we're, we're very happy about and, and being able to do um, to date. Right. Uh, as we move forward to 2016, we are looking at putting together uh, a seed round and uh, and a figure that's representative of the year that we want to have. Yep. Um, of course, here in Canada, we have, in, in Ontario, we have, as you mentioned, uh, the Mars uh, building, yep. uh, which actually stands for Medical and Related Sciences. And though we are not medical, and I don't know that you could say that we are really a science, uh, it started off in the medical field that's now grown into... Uh, a variety of fields, and we live in the ICT field, of course, in the technology space, and there are uh, a number of uh, people in this market who are very interested in what we're doing and building, and of course, the HR. Uh, and it's hot. And it's, it's hot right now, and, and there needs exactly. to be some solutions. 
what's been your biggest challenge in raising money? Well, I guess having good enough relations with relatives. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just make sure for the last 25 years you haven't pissed anybody off. <laughs> well, no, nobody who can speak of it today, you mean. Yeah. Um, the, you go. The, sorry, the, the biggest issue uh, in raising funds is, you know, I think as a startup, you you have very specific thoughts on how you're going to grow and how you're going to extend and expand. And uh, as, as an organization which isn't live yet, we, we have to look at, of course, every penny and be responsible to our, our shareholders for each penny. Sure. But um, moreover, it's difficult to, to point your finger at a piece of paper and say, this is where we need to be based off of these figures. So if we're going to have X number of of uh, customers, that means Y revenues, and then going out and raising money based off of that or uh, based on specific calendar dates we expect to hit, so on and so forth, that is very difficult. You know, yeah. At the end of the day, we are really following uh, a vision, a passion, a dream for what Empty Cubicle will be, yep. and as a, as a company that's over a year old now, we're very fortunate that we're still around. We, we're obviously doing something right. That's true. And, and we... Um, We've been able to, to substantiate that to create a, an exciting product, and it's it's really not just uh, a driver for us to continue, but it's the reaction to the industry, uh, the number of beta customers who have already committed to coming onto the platform, the number of, of individuals who have signed out to be a part of the beta, which they can do at mtcubicle.com. Uh, it's all very, very exciting, and we, we can't wait to launch. Okay, we're running very short of time, but you're launching in the first quarter of 16, so where do you see yourself in the next 12 months? Where, what's the process through the next 12 months? Where do you think you'll be? Well, we begin in, in 2016, uh, Q1, as you mentioned, in the IT contractor space across North America. Right. Now, obviously, as a platform, this is something that can be used uh, across industries, across countries around the world. And uh, that's something that doesn't uh, that keeps me up at night with excitement, just that, that possibility of sure. potential to execute at that scale. Um, so in, in calendar year 2016, uh, our hope is to grow the platform into other industries, uh, into full-time spaces, not just contract spaces. And uh, hopefully we'll have this uh, conversation again at the end of 2016 into 2017, and I'll be telling you where we've executed, uh, in what countries, and what verticals, and what markets. I look forward to that. Eric, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. That was interesting. I'm something that I knew a little bit about, but not, not that much. Now, if you'd like to know more about Eric Riz and Empty Cubicle, go to emptycubicle.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. The Bob Pritchard Radio Show on West American Business Channel. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. Hard word, entrepreneurs. This week we're broadcasting from the Gold Coast in Australia. We're an absolutely magnificent day. One of the most difficult challenges faced by entrepreneurs is to provide the right kind of leadership to get the most out of every member of your team and to continue to have a razor-sharp focus. Now, whether you're an entrepreneur, a supervisor, or a director of a team within your organisation, your leadership abilities are going to ultimately dictate your professional success, or, if you're really bad at it, your failure. And too often, bad habits get in the way of effective leadership. The five worst habits that can compromise your ability to lead are, let's do the first one, First habit is your ability 
if you isolate yourself in any way, and there are many ways to isolate yourself, none of them are good. You can physically isolate yourself by getting an office as far away from the worker bees as possible. Um, you can mentally isolate yourself or you can emotionally isolate yourself. In any case, it fosters resentment and an us versus them mentality. It distances you from the work that you're supposed to be doing and it can interfere with your ability to oversee that work. Now, the second habit that can be disastrous is your role is failing to provide appropriate direction. Setting directions, what good leaders do, but setting too firm a direction can damage your credibility and the capacity for your team to be able to adapt and show initiative. Too often leaders get wrapped up in the idea that they're responsible for the outcome of events in an effort to keep control of what's happening. They create strict plans for their teams to execute. So if you plan without listening to your team, you'll miss out on key insights that might otherwise lead you to better solutions. It could also breed resentment. It'll certainly demotivate your team, which re re results in lower productivity and less new ideas. So flexibility is always very important in today's rapidly changing market. So you need to give your team the ability to be flexible. The third habit that could damage your ability to lead is how you focus on day-to-day -day tasks. There are two ways leaders focus too much. The first is personal and the second is as a supervisor. Personally, if you spend all your time worrying about micro tasks, you'll never have a chance to think high level. You'll never, you'll never have that helicopter view. You'll always have the in the trenches view and that is a kiss of death. You'll never get the opportunity to reflect or change or come up with new initiatives or pivot. So you need full discussion to maximise the idea input and delegate some of your responsibilities if you're truly pressed. And as a supervisor, focusing too closely on the daily activities of your team is definitely a problem. It makes you a micromanager. It uh, disrupts your employees' natural workflows. And put it mildly, it pisses them off. So you've got to find people for your team who you can trust to get the job done, give them the job to do, and then trust them to do it, irrespective of which way they choose to achieve the result. The fourth habit that will definitely kill your leadership ability is making excuses. In a leadership position, when the team stumbles, it's easy to find ways to rationalise what's happened. Making excuses is not the same as finding the cause, tracking down the source of the problem and eliminating it. Now, that's the thing you must do. You've got to strive to do that. Don't just sweep it under the rug and make an excuse. It's somebody else's fault. The power went off. Something happened. You need to solve it. Excuses are a lazy, lazy form of problem solving. The fifth disastrous habit you can have as a leader is working too hard. Too many leaders bear the weight of their teams by working long hours, skipping breaks, staying up long into the night. And that, while that might help you meet a tight deadline or catch up with the work in the short term, eventually it will destroy your ability as a leader. It'll wear down your focus, your concentration, and even, if you do it long enough, wear down your physical health. Skipping breaks robs you of the opportunity to relieve stress, to sit and think, and makes you more irritable and less productive. Take time to slow down and you and your team will be better for it. Now, if you start exhibiting any of these bad habits, or maybe you already do, get rid of them as quickly as possible. Replace your negative habits with positive ones. Regain your aptitude as a leader by sheer will and discipline. Your team will follow your example and become more efficient and productive in their own right. Together, you'll have an easier time setting and achieving your goals. I always think, I went and saw Steve Jobs speak once, and there was about 
5,000 people in the room. And if Steve had said, okay, we're all going to go now, we're all going to jump off the, um, we're all going to jump into the Grand Canyon, all 5,000 people in that room would have wandered off and jumped into the Grand Canyon. I mean, he was just such a charismatic leader that people believed in him and trusted him and would do anything that he said. And you too can be that leader, but you have to lead by example and by being one of the teams and being empathetic. Now, this has been a sensational year for me, and uh, I greatly appreciate you listening to me every week. I thank all of you that have been onto the website, those that have uh, subscribed to the monthly newsletter and get the monthly newsletter. And don't forget, the new year, join the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. I hope you have a, I hope you've had a sensational Christmas or holiday period, Hanukkah or whatever, and uh, I hope you have an amazing New Year's Eve. Bring in the new year with your loved ones and be prepared for an unbelievable 2016. I think 2016 in most countries of the world, and I think certainly in the United States, will be an amazing one for business. In the meanwhile, Remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope and if you're not living absolutely right on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Get out of the fucking way. Let somebody who wants to achieve, achieve. Don't hold anybody back. Encourage everyone that's around you. You know, it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to be like everybody else and do the ordinary. So this is Bob Pritchard. I hope you have an absolutely sensational New Year's Eve. And I look forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.